Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's good to be with you again this morning. It's Pastor Jim. Uh, We are continuing on in our series called Work Ethic, in which we're looking at the nature of work and God's call on our lives, how we spend our daily lives, whether it's at home or in the classroom or in an office, what it means to work and to do so purposefully and meaningfully. We've talked about the fact that we want to map God's vision of the world on top of our vision of the world, what we see, so that we could see the things that God is calling us to, the divine appointments that he has in mind for us, the things that he wants to fill our days with. Even if we've already got an assignment in the, in the secular realm, we already got a place to go, uh, things to study, things to produce. Nonetheless, we want to see what God's calling is in our day and superimpose that on everything else we're doing. And so today I want to look at a, a very important element of that. In our daily life, we want to make sure that we are filled with speech about Jesus. We want to make sure that our lives are filled with pointing in his direction. And Jesus left us a very important teaching at the end of his life to remind us that that is our purpose here on the earth. And so today we're going to look at God's calling uh, and what he calls us to do on a day-to-day basis in the way we talk about him. Pray with me. Jesus, I do thank you that you call us to meaning and to purpose and to life. And I ask that you'd speak into our daily lives where we've become bored, where things are monotonous, where life is frustrating or exhausting. We need your spirit, we need your freedom, and we need your purpose. Jesus, we can find it nowhere else, and we look to you. God, as we open your word, open our hearts. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, let's look at a teaching that comes at the end of Jesus' life. And it really is about our work because it's him telling his followers what they are to do day to day, what their purpose is to be. This is the big summary, the big recapitulation of everything he said, one final reminder before he ascends into heaven. So open your Bibles, if you've got them in front of you, to Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to start at verse 16. Listen to God's word. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. 11 because Judas is now gone. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I find that so comforting that at the end of his life, having witnessed his miracles, having seen him risen from the dead, there are still people who wrestle with doubt. That, That makes me feel better on those days where I wrestle with doubt or uncertainty. I'm not alone. The eyewitnesses. Uh, wrestled with the same thing. Some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, presuming that Jesus is a good teacher... What is the weight 
of these final words. Remember, a good teacher will tell you what they want you to do, and then they'll show you, and then they'll let you practice it, and then they'll remind you again. That's a process of good teaching. Presuming Jesus is a good teacher, we are now at the reminding stage. He has told them how to live lives of love. Love God, love other people. That's the purpose of life. He has shown them how to do it. He goes to people like the Samaritan woman. Wrong race, wrong theology, wrong gender, everything that Israel doesn't like. They want to keep her away because she is a bad influence on Israel. And that is whom Jesus chooses to go to. Jesus goes to her and speaks to her and she becomes a follower of Jesus and the first evangelist of the New Testament. He has shown them what to do with their lives. He tells them and then he shows them and then he sends them out. In his lifetime, he would get together uh, not only the 12, but groups of 70 at a time and send them out in pairs to go and do ministry in the surrounding areas, the surrounding cities, and then come back and debrief it with him. He's told them, he's shown them, he sent them, and now he's reminding them. So the weight of these words is this. This is Jesus' grand summary of, hey, before I go, there's one more thing I want to leave you with. This is what to do with your life. I told you I am the good shepherd who goes looking for lost sheep. You have seen me spent my life loving lost people whom the very religious people reject. Now I've sent you out to do it too. Don't forget. Go to all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and teach them everything I've commanded you. Teach them to love the way I have shown you to love, the way I have loved you, the way I've taught you to love. Go and teach that to the world. So presuming Jesus is a good teacher, this is a, a pretty weighty passage. This is his, his grand reminder, don't forget what you stand for. Now, there's something that happens in strategic organizational management called mission drift. And mission drift is when an organization has initially a focused, clear purpose and intention, and then it starts to add things to its purpose and intention until eventually the things that it has added start to lead it a little bit off course. Initially, it looks about the same. It just starts to add things to its mission, to its purpose that take it a little bit off course of where it was originally. And then eventually over time, those additions, those changes start to lead it in completely new directions so that eventually its mission and its purpose have changed. That's called mission drift. Imagine a firehouse where young, brave firefighters gather to go and fight fires and to save houses and people and neighborhoods. And eventually that's what, I mean, initially that's what they do. And they're proud of it. They have these great stories of heroism. But over time, the veterans start to realize, hey, this is kind of dangerous and it's really hard work. And you know who's most excited about it? The new recruits. The newest guys on the force, they're the ones who are most excited about it. So I'll tell you what, when a fire alarm goes off and we have to go fight a fire, we're going to send the young guys first because they're the most excited. We'll put them on the trucks and send them out. And meanwhile, we'll sit around the firehouse and we'll tell stories about the, the times that we fought fires. And that's what they proceed to do. And the young firefighters come in and they get excited and they go out and fight fires. But the ones who've been around a while, the ones who know how hard it is and how dangerous it is, they kind of scroll through their Instagram accounts and look at the old pictures and tell stories. They hang around and drink coffee and talk about how great it was. Well, what happens eventually is people who actually want to fight fires, 
people who actually want to save lives, stop joining that firehouse. Because word gets around that not much is going on there. There are no longer any new recruits. And now it's just the, the gang of folks who were there in the beginning who have some proud stories from long ago about what they did. And they still like to get together because they like each other. And they remember and they tell stories. But functionally, their firehouse has become a museum. And that is the modern American church. The modern American church is filled with an aging population that initially joined with purpose and mission to know Jesus and to make Jesus known, to go and to save the world, to baptize all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and to teach them everything that Jesus had taught. But over time, they came to realize that's a lot of work. And you know who's really excited about it? New Christians. Nobody invites people to church faster than new Christians. Let's just let them do it. Meanwhile, we can tell stories about the good old days, and maybe that'll be a good example. And across the landscape of America, churches are aging and closing because people who actually want excitement and adventure have gone elsewhere. Think about yourself right now. Don't think about somebody else. Think about yourself. If you've been following Jesus for, let's say, 10 years or more, let's say a good long time, how many people who do not know Jesus have you talked to about Jesus in, let's just say, the last three years? Let's say you've known him for 10 years yourself. In the last three years, how many people who do not already know Jesus have you talked to about Jesus? Now, don't lie to me, because for those of you who come to church, I see whether or not you bring people with you. Right? I remember when I was in college, I heard a pastor preach a sermon about living life on mission, living life with a purpose, about not drifting off of mission. And he said, I want you to pray right now and think about how this week you're going to forward the kingdom of God on earth. And I sat there in church thinking to myself, and I thought, well, you know who really seems to be on mission? The Mormons. The Mormons go knocking on doors every single day of the week. They're up and down the streets on their little bicycles and their neckties because that's really appealing. And, I, and Mormons' doctrine is pretty far from Christianity. I, they, they'll tell you that they are Christians, but it's a, it's a far stretch from Christianity. But they're so effective because they go around making sure they tell everybody. And if you tell 100 people, you're going to get one. And so they do. And I sat there in church thinking to myself, well, maybe I could do that. And so that week, a friend of mine and I drafted some, some paperwork, some, some little pamphlet in the days before there were, it was internet and social media, drafted a little pamphlet. And we went knocking on doors that week to say, hey, can I talk to you about faith? Can I talk to you about Jesus? And it was not the most effective ministry I had ever done. But an, an important spiritual transaction happened that week when I decided I am going to live life on mission no matter what. And if the way I'm doing it now isn't effective, I'm going to keep trying until I find a way that is effective. It's like the great evangelist Dwight Moody, 100 years ago, was once challenged by a person in his congregation because he was so flamboyant in the pulpit. He was so animated and, and sort of goofy in the pulpit that uh, a person in his congregation confronted him and said, I don't like the way you don't take church seriously enough. It seems like you're, you're, you're being too playful up there. And he says, he says to this, this woman, he says, Madam, how are you introducing people to Jesus. 
And she said, well, I, I'm not really. And he said, I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not doing it. And that was my resolution in those college days. I might not be doing it the most effective way right now, but I'm going to keep trying until I find the most effective way. I like the way I'm doing it better than the way other people are not doing it. And I'm not going to let my life drift off of mission and just hand on the adventure and the excitement to a younger generation who's more excited about it. I'm going to stay true to the mission of the church, and I'm going to fulfill Jesus' great commission. I am going to go and baptize people everywhere I find them. I'm going to teach them the ways of Jesus. I'm going to love them the way Jesus loves me, and I'm not going to do anything else. And his call for our work life is that we would do exactly that day in and day out. That whether we are a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker, that wherever we are, we're an evangelist. We are people who live to fulfill the great commission of Jesus. And that's why at the end of his life, he leads this, he, he leaves this powerful teaching. I, I want to give you some practical ways to do that, but, but it starts with a worldview. It starts with how you envision yourself. Um, it, it's like this. Um, uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, this incident happened down in Carlsbad, California, where there was a, one of those armored money trucks going down the freeway. And somehow it burst open and it spilled money out onto the freeway. The newscasters that night were desperate to tell people, if you stopped your car and picked up money, you are responsible to bring that money back and turn it in. There was a whole traffic jam of people who pulled their cars over to the side of the road and began to pick up money everywhere they went. I can neither confirm nor deny my location on November 20th, 19, uh, 2021, uh, but I, I can tell you that, um, you know, it's California. When you see an official person throwing money out the window, it's hard to tell whether or not they're doing it on purpose. So, <laughs> um, that, that is what we are like. We are like a treasure chest. And if people realize what the love of Jesus is like, they would be pulling their cars over to grab it up. If Christians really lived lives of love the way Jesus taught us to, people would be beating a path to the church. But Christians are not known in society for being the most loving people out there. We're known for being the people who tell other people they're wrong and then boycotting them when they do things that offend us. That's how we are known. If we were known for being people who loved Samaritan women, wrong theology, wrong gender, wrong race, wrong geography, everything about them was wrong, and we love them anyway, people would be beating a path to the doorway of the church. That is what Jesus called us to do. You are a, an armored truck filled with cash. The love of Jesus within you is something that people thirst for. And if you would just pour it out in radical generosity, the church would have a revival. We just have to love the way Jesus loved. That's what he called us to do. So I want to give you four practical steps, four ways that we can speak of Jesus in our daily lives, that we can fulfill the Great Commission wherever we are. Number one, uh, start with a, a prayer of offering where we offer ourselves to Jesus. Romans chapter 12 says, make yourself a, a living sacrifice Right? Give up what you would normally pursue day in and day out and sacrifice your life out of love for others. Prioritize others before yourself. Philippians 2 verses 1 through 5. 
Prioritize the needs of others and let God's love flow through you to them. If you have not already picked up one of the blessing cards here at Real Life Church, we have in our lobby a little poster on the wall uh, that, that has our, our blessing cards in it. And on these cards, we're writing the names of about eight people that we're going to pray for and seek to be kind to and generous to and point towards Jesus. And you should have one of those cards by now, either by your sink or in your car or on your computer screen. You, you should have one of those cards so that there's a group of people that you are intentionally reminding yourself day in and day out, here are the people that Jesus has sent me to love. We begin the day with a prayer of offering say, saying, Jesus, use my life. Send me into the world to love people in your name. Secondly, we have to prioritize people. Um, I have a friend who um, has just become a Christian, and she says that the first person in her family became a Christian, after he became a Christian, his, his, then, his method, his then approach to the family was he went around quoting long Bible passages to them all the time, to people who weren't Christians. He would say, yeah, well, you know what the Bible says, and then he would memorize and quote these long passages of Scripture, and it didn't really didn't really excite people for Jesus. Nobody wants to be a notch on your evangelical belt. But I'll tell you what actually works well. Um, I have this experience here at Real Life Preschool during the day. If I, if I walk by the, the playground where the kids in our preschool are playing, they'll come um, sit at the fence and look through the bars like I'm an animal in the zoo. Now, I know they're the ones who are fenced in for safety, but they look at me like I'm an animal in the zoo. And they'll, hey, hey, Pastor Jim. And they'll, you know, ask me about my day and they'll ask me about uh, the church or uh, what, you know, they'll ask about my car. They just ask random questions. They ask about my pet dragon. I told them I had a pet dragon. So that's a po popular topic of conversation around here. Um, and I just love listening to their questions because they're so off the wall. And it's so fun to see their smiling faces every day and to, to just take a minute and chit-chat with them. And about once a month, I get to lead a chapel on this stage with a bunch of screaming preschool kids. And I get to tell them about Jesus. But that's actually not what comes first. What comes first is I, I just love seeing the joy of a preschool filled with kids. Um, I just love hearing their questions and their stories and the things they want to tell me, even if it's just for a minute during the day. What, what comes first is not preaching. What comes first is not actually Bible study. What comes first is loving people because God made us to love. You are a being of love. You are designed for love. And if you live for love, people will beat a pathway to your door to say, where do you get this from? Why, why are you like this? We should practice acts of kindness and generosity day in and day out because it is the way that we make Jesus' love known. The mission of Real Life Church is to lead people to Jesus by being a community of grace with a God-sized vision for every generation. And to be a community of grace means people experience love when they walk through the doors. It's what we're made for. It's what Jesus envisioned the church to be. So uh, number one, we, uh, we, uh, we pray a prayer of offering. We prioritize people. And then we practice kindness and generosity. Uh, we live uh, lives of love. Uh, and I told you a story uh, about it less than a year ago about uh, the 
founder of the Church of Satan in South Africa. This guy became a Satanist and he started the Church of Satan and it was growing and he became a Christian. And so that made news around the world. But when he told his story, he talked about how one day he had been interviewed for a radio program by a Christian woman. And after the interview, he, he said that she hugged him and he felt a kind of unconditional love from her. And that changed the way he experienced the world and what ultimately led him to Jesus. This is what he says. Uh, his name is, his last name was Swig, Swigilar. I'm probably not pronouncing it. It's a Dutch name, Swigilar. He said, um, after this interview with this woman, she held me in a way that I've never been loved. And that's all she did. She didn't say anything. I've never had anyone, let alone a Christian, do that. I've never had that kind of experience. I never knew a Christian could show that much love and could accept me unconditionally. I had a meeting with the, uh, the Church of Satan council members after I had done all these interviews, and we affirmed that Satanism is growing. He said, I had to do a ritual by myself to see what was the next step. How do I get more power and influence? I opened myself up and Jesus appeared. I was extremely cocky and I said, whatever. I said, if you're Jesus, prove it. And he flooded me with the most beautiful love and I recognized it immediately because of what the lady at the radio station did for me. I recognized the love of Christ immediately. Think about yourself. When you see someone who's part of the wrong group or who has the wrong beliefs and they're a bad influence, they're a threat, how do you treat them? If she had scorned him or scolded him or simply avoided him, what would his story be? But instead she loved him and embraced him. Somebody who had founded a church to Satan, but she loved him first. And that kind of kindness paved the way to him experiencing Jesus' love. So we pray a prayer of offering. Jesus, use my life today in my work, in my school, in my home. Use my life today. We prioritize people. We put them in front of everything else. We then practice acts of kindness and generosity. And then finally, we have to preach what we've practiced. After we live lives of love, after we live lives of kindness and generosity, we have to preach what we practice. We have to give words to it. It's not good enough just to be nice to people. I know there's some people out there who think, I'm gonna be really, really nice, and maybe people will find Jesus because I'm really nice. That's actually not good enough. I, I knew a guy who tried to do that in his office space. He said, I'm gonna be really kind, I'm gonna be really gracious to other people, and maybe if they see how nice I am, maybe somehow that will motivate them to be a Christian. And he said, after he did this for a long time, just went out of his way to be kind to people, eventually someone in his office observed it and said, hey, you are so nice to other people. Are you like a vegetarian or something? We, we really have to add words to it. We have to explain why it is that we do what we do. And for most of us, for most of us, all that means is, <coughs> excuse me, all that means is that we are going to have to ask people if we can pray for them when they're most in need. When somebody expressed, expresses to us their hurt or their pain or their struggles, all we have to do is say, hey, is there anybody who's praying for you? 
can I pray for you today? And in my experience, 99 out of 100 people say yes. All we have to do is extend an offer to pray for people. And, and I know if you've never done it before, the first time you do it, you will feel awkward. And I can assure you, uh, I know many of you, you're absolutely as awkward as you think you are. And I like you anyway. And I'm absolutely as awkward as, as I seem as well. And, and that's fine. God works through it all the same. But we have to be gracious enough to people to extend that moment where we re reach out and say, hey, I actually want to talk to you about things that matter. I actually want to pray for you. I actually want to talk to you about Jesus. We have to, we have to preach what we've practiced because it's not enough to be nice and hope people figure it out. Um, I told you, um, I told you a, a couple months ago about uh, sitting outside a cafe and giving out gift cards to a few people as they went in, just small gift cards that I had bought. And for those who paused to say, why did you do that? All I said was, God has been good to me, and so I get to be good to other people. God has been generous to me, so I get to be generous to other people. And for a couple of people, I could see it was more than just a passing moment. For a couple of people, I could see that it sunk in. And that's what Jesus wants for us. If you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for meaning in your daily life, in your work, the question is, how are you going to fulfill Jesus' great commission day to day? Pray in the morning, Jesus, use my day, it belongs to you. Prioritize people, they matter most. Practice acts of kindness and generosity because that's what's really going to touch people's hearts. And then preach what you've practiced. Name that Jesus is at the heart of all you do. And as we do that together, I honestly think people will beat a path to the church's door. Most of the world is just waiting to be loved. Pray with me. Jesus, we uh, pray a prayer of offering now. Uh, we want to give you our work lives, our, our daily hours, most of what we do during the day, wherever it is that we spend our time. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would invade our daily lives. Teach us to keep our eyes focused on you and to live to love other people. And as we do, May we witness the transforming power of your Holy Spirit that reaches into the deepest places in people's lives to claim them for yourself. We do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.